is the way the Apostle Paul says goodbye. Ready? And you will never see my face again. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, thanks. Like, try that one next time you leave. You know, like, just try that. Oh, I'm not going to see you again. You'll never see it again, really. We're going to look at a large chunk of text today, and then we're going to zero in on a single verse that we're going to hopefully apply to your life. Uh, so to do that, I want you to turn to Acts chapter 20, and we're going to look at Paul's farewell to the Ephesian uh, church. <clears throat> Imagine having Paul for your pastor for like three years, you know? Like he's, some of you, that's kind of scary actually to think about, but you know, he, he's teaching you, you're having conversations with him, he's been in your community, he's been healing people. Last week we looked at the fact that he, he could take his work apron off, he was a tent maker, and send it to somebody's house and they would be healed from a sickness or, or a demon would come out of them. I mean, it's just amazing things were happening. That includes riots. There were some riots that, that Paul was involved in, so he, he was not a, a person without controversy surrounding him. But he'd done amazing ministry in Ephesus for three years. And then you get this farewell time to the elders. And this is what he says. I'm not going to read the whole thing. But if you're looking at Acts 20, if you look at verse 22, Acts 20, 22, Paul says, And now, compelled by the Spirit, I'm going to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there. I only know that in every city the Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardships are facing me. However, I consider my life worth nothing to me, if only that I may finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me, the task of testifying to the gospel of God's grace. Now I know that none of you among whom I've gone about preaching the kingdom, will ever see me again. See ya, you know. <laughs> You're never going to see me again. Now what he does is he has this time with the Ephesian elders, says goodbye to them, says, I'm going to Jerusalem. He doesn't tell them why, but I'm going to tell you why, because he talks about this in the book of Romans. He has to go to Jerusalem because he's delivering a monetary gift from the Gentile churches. And he's bringing that gift to the Jerusalem church. Jewish believers who believe in Jesus are receiving this gift. And it's like, Paul, why do you have to go there, especially if the Holy Spirit's warning you that you're going to suffer when you get there? Well, for Paul, he wants to make sure that this Gentile mission is the same mission as the Jerusalem church, that Jews and Gentiles are equals in the kingdom. And so he wants to oversee the giving of this gift to show that, you know, we're one. There's no division between us. So he's got to go. Acts 21 starts out as kind of like a, journal, a journal of their travels. And I'm not going to read about all the different travels and all the different places they've stopped. But I am going to show you one thing. Because what's interesting in chapter 21, what caught my attention is you've got Believers who are giving Paul advice. They're giving him advice. Like, Paul, we think you should do this. Three times it happens. I'm just going to show you those three times, and then we're going to make a conclusion about it, okay? Here's the first time. Uh, Paul is sailing, and if you look like in verse 4, one of their stops was Tyre. They're on the way to Jerusalem. Finding the disciples there, we stay with them seven days. Through the Spirit, they urge Paul not to go on to Jerusalem. Now, that's a very problematic verse. 
Now, this is just a journal now. He's just kind of giving snippets of where they were traveling and what was happening. But while they're in Tyre, the believers there say, Paul, don't go to Jerusalem. And, and, and to make matters even more complicated, it says, through the Spirit they told Paul not to go to Jerusalem. So we just read in, in Ephesus, Paul says, the Spirit is leading me to Jerusalem, and now these believers say, don't go there. How do you figure that out? Is Paul right or are the believers right? Who's really being led by the Holy Spirit? And I, and I think I think the best answer is this. Paul was being, tr- was being honest when he says the Spirit's leading me to Jerusalem. I think these believers were being told by the Holy Spirit that Paul was going to suffer. And so they came to the conclusion that Paul shouldn't go. Just don't go. The reason I say that is because it happens a second time. There's a second piece of advice given in chapter 21. Would you jump down to verse 10? So they're in Caesarea now. Again, this is just they're just clicking off all these different places they go. Verse 10. After we'd been there a number of days, a prophet named Agabus came down from Judea. Coming over to us, he took Paul's belt, tied his own hands and feet with it, and said, The Holy Spirit says, In this way the Jews of Jerusalem will bind the owner of this belt and will hand him over to the Gentiles. When we heard this, we and the people there pleaded with Paul not to go to Jerusalem. Then Paul answered, Why are you weeping and breaking my heart? I'm I'm ready not only to be bound, but also to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. When he would not be dissuaded, we gave up and said, The Lord's will be done. So in this second episode, you see that he meets this prophet named Agabus who has the the boldness to take Paul's belt off. I don't know if I would have done that, but, but Agabus must have been led by God to do that, right? And he binds Paul's hands and feet and says, this is going to happen to you when you get to Jerusalem. And everybody there has a very common, I think it's an American reaction. Well, Paul, if you're going to suffer and get turned over to Gentiles, don't go. Don't go. That's their advice to the Apostle Paul. And Paul says, you're breaking my heart. You're making this harder on me, but you don't understand. I'm willing to be bound, and I'm willing to die when I get to Jerusalem. And at this point in the book, at this point you're kind of like, okay, Acts is is part two of a two-book series, right? You've got the Gospel of Luke. In the Gospel of Luke, there's a certain point in Jesus' ministry where he starts heading to Jerusalem to die. He starts predicting his sufferings to his disciples. And there's nothing that's going to stop him from going to Jerusalem to die. We call that Christ's passion, that passion week, that last week. He had to be in Jerusalem. He had to be there. And so you read this. This is part two of Luke's two-volume series. This is the book of Acts. And Luke is, you're kind of reading this and you're going, Paul, you've got to be in Jerusalem. And you're going to suffer there. And you might even die there. Now, spoiler warning, you know, he's not going to die there. But they don't know that. And I think if you were reading the book of Acts for the first time, you didn't know any of this, you'd be reading this and you'd be going, is he going to die? Is he going to die like Jesus? Why has he got to go to Jerusalem? What's happening here? I don't know. So he gets to Jerusalem, and he is warmly received by the church. They bring him in, and he's talking to the leaders there. 
and they say, Paul, there is a nasty rumor going on about you in this area. The rumor is that you tell Jewish people not to follow the law, the law of Moses. They don't have to be circumcised. Don't worry about that. If you're a Jewish person, don't, don't worry about it. We want to calm down that rumor, and we've got an idea. We've got some advice for you. Third time now, he's getting some advice. They say, we want you to join these four guys that, that have taken a Nazarite vow. Now, maybe you've heard of that in the Old Testament. Samson took a Nazarite vow, right? Couldn't cut his hair, couldn't drink alcohol, you know, the, the wine. These guys have taken a Nazarite vow, and they're about ready to finish it. And they have to give offerings at the temple to complete their vow. We're asking you to use your own money to pay for their offerings at the temple to complete their vow. In fact, you're going to go through the purification rites on that final week. You're going to purify yourself and pay for their offerings, and that's going to tell everybody around that you are, you are standing with the Jewish nation. You're not anti-Moses. Now, if I'm Paul at this point, I would be insulted. Because, remember what Paul says about himself? Circumcised on the eighth day. Tribe of Benjamin. Hebrew of Hebrews. As to the law, zealous, a Pharisee. You know, it's like, Paul, before you came to Jesus, you were the guy everybody wanted to be like. You were like the most law-abiding Jewish guy around. Nobody had it more than you did. And now there's a rumor going around that you're all against that. You can see where that might get started. And we want you to show solidarity with the Jewish nation and pay for these four Nazarite vow guys. They're going to cut their hair because their vow's over now. We want you to be a part of it. Again, I feel like if I'm Paul, I'd be insulted because, like, I wrote the book on being the Pharisee, you know? That's who Paul was in his former life before Jesus. But... Paul humbles himself and he says, I'll do it. I'll do it. What happens? Well, let's pick it up in verse 27. When the seven days, that's the seven days of purification that Paul is doing. When the seven days were nearly over, some Jews from the province of Asia saw Paul at the temple. They stirred up the whole crowd and they seized him shouting, Men of Israel, help us. This is the man who teaches all men everywhere against our people and our law and this place. And besides, he's brought Greeks into the temple area, that's false, and defiled this holy place. They had previously seen Trophimus, the Ephesian in the city with Paul, and they'd assumed that Paul had brought him into the temple area. The whole city was aroused. The people came running from all directions. Seizing Paul, they dragged him from the temple, and immediately the gates were shut, and then the Romans get involved, and Paul goes on trial, and that's for next week. But... I'm just going to say this. Paul, you've had three pieces of advice given to you in chapter 21. First piece was, don't go to Jerusalem. Second piece, don't go to Jerusalem. What does Paul do? He goes to Jerusalem. What happens? A riot. Third piece of advice. Paul, we've got a great idea. We're going to calm down all these rumors and all this antagonism we're going to have you take part in this Nazarite vow, the very end of it. Can you do that? Yeah, I'll do that. What happens? Riot. And so maybe you kind of look at it and go, Paul, you just really stink at taking advice. You know? You need a new plan. 
If we knew trouble was coming, we wouldn't walk into it. I'm smarter than that. I got more common sense than that. I know better than that. I remember when uh, I remember when we were uh, taking a t- taking a youth group trip to Mexico, Juarez, and, and if you remember a few years ago, there was a big outburst of violence down there. Maybe you read, read the story, the news on that, drug related. And I remember sitting down with the students and the parents, and uh, I'd ask the parents, "Do you want me to take your kids to Mexico?" And it was like unanimous. It was easy. They said no. No way. Don't take our kids down there. Oh, yeah, common sense says don't go. Don't go. When we get advice, when we have to make decisions, we seek counsel, and people say, I think this is what you ought to do. Here, here, here's my best thoughts about this. What kind of house should you buy? What kind of car? Where should you go to school? Where should you move? Should you take that promotion? How do you deal with that person? You know, we get advice all the time for stuff, decisions we have to make. You do it, I do it. I would like to know, how does Paul discern advice? Because it seems like he says no to things he should say yes to. And he says yes to things he should say no to. You know, what in the world? It's dangerous, don't go there. That's easy. Um, by the way, if you didn't know what the title of my sermon meant, in my humble opinion, IMHO, right? right. Now you can go text somebody right after the service and say it. You can. Okay, all right, all right, here we go. You know what I did the other day? I was uh, teaching Fun Club, and I, I didn't know if this was going to work or not, but I started showing emojis on the screen, and the kids, like, they were, like, going crazy. Like, emojis, you know, I don't know. It's a different world we live in, you know. Okay. I want to know, how does Paul take advice? So I want you to look back at chapter 20 because I think the key to how Paul takes advice and to how you should take advice is in chapter 20, verse 24. This is Paul with the Ephesian elders. This is where all that bad advice started. Okay? He says in 23, I know in every city the Holy Spirit warns me that prisons and hardships are facing me. However, I consider my life worth nothing to me if only that I may finish the race and complete the task The Lord Jesus has given me the task of testifying to the gospel of God's grace. I read that verse, and what I see is there are two filters that we use when people give us advice. Or at least Paul, there's two filters. I want to point them out to you. See which ones you're using. Filter number one goes like this. My life is precious. My life is precious. That's the word Paul uses here. I'm going to show it to you later. But he uses the word timion, which means it's like a precious stone. My life is precious. Now that filter is absolutely true. You're made in the image of God, loved by God, chosen. Jesus died for you. Your life is precious. So when someone gives you advice, one of the filters is, well, will this make me happy? This decision? Will this decision enrich my life? Isn't that how you make decisions? If I take this promotion, will the new responsibilities be too much for me? That would make me miserable, so I probably shouldn't do it. Or I could say, I'm going to get paid more, which will make me happier, which will enrich my life, so I'll do it. But, But one of the filters we use when we get advice and when we're making decisions is, how will this make my life better? My life is precious. And that statement of preciousness is absolutely true of you. 
What I'm saying is, it's not bad to have air conditioning in your home. You know, that's okay. It's okay to drive a car that probably won't break down because it's a good car and you spend a little extra on it so that you'll be safe on the road. That's okay. It's okay. Your life is precious. So we make hundreds of decisions based on this this premise that I need to make a decision that will make me happy, enrich my life, show that my life means something. And certainly, when I was when we were going to go to Mexico, those parents, this was the filter they made that decision on. I didn't make the decision. I was just the youth pastor. I, I felt like I'm not qualified to do that for them. <clears throat> so I called the parents and I said, what do you want me to do? And clearly, the preciousness of their teenagers' lives was the filter they made their decision on. Don't go to Mexico on this trip. It's not safe. And I'm not judging them or saying they're all bad people. Although I do remember there was a uh, young lady, junior, senior in high school, that said, I'm ready to go even if something bad happens to me. I'm ready to go. And I thought, you need to be in ministry. And she is to this day. Um, <clears throat> that, that was awesome. That was one of the best things I thought that came out of that. A teenager saying, I'm ready to go. So <clears throat> I think that's filter number one. My life's precious. Filter number two is my life has purpose. My life has purpose. I've been put on earth for a reason. Just like the video you saw earlier of being a new creation. You're God's workmanship. He has a reason for you to be here. Gifts and abilities that he's given to you. Your life has a purpose. So this kind of, this kind of filter says things like, uh, will this decision move me towards God's purpose for my life? If I choose this job, will I be able to live out what I've been put on earth for? What's the purpose for my life? And then secondly, maybe another thing they would say is, what's God's will? What would be God's best for me in this situation? My life has purpose. So the question becomes, which one of those things takes priority in your life? Precious or purpose? Which one is at the top, the top filter? Which one takes priority? And I've got to say, in the American church, I feel like my default is precious. My life is precious. And somewhere after that is my life has purpose. But Paul does not filter things in advice that way. He just doesn't. So I want to show you the verse again. We can put it up here with the Greek words beside it. And I was really debating like how I was going to show you all this in this verse. I think Acts 20:24 20, is like one of those life verses you could have. Like, this verse is just as great as I've been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. It's just as awesome as for me to live as Christ, to die as gain. It's like, it's like way up there of Paul stating what he's here for. All right, this is what he says. This is ESV. Um, I thought that the, the literalness of it was really helpful here. But I do not account my life of any value, nor as precious to myself, if only I may finish my course and the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. I just want to, I don't usually do this, but I want to walk you through some of the Greek words here and kind of show this to you, okay? Because I think it's an amazing verse. I did not account my life of any value. 
Now, the word there of value is uden. It just means nothing, like, like nothing. It's, it's, it's a negative word. It just, it just means nothing. But then he says another word. He has another word here, precious. And I think he kind of smooths it out. But Paul uses two words to describe what he means here, uden, which means nothing, and precious, which is timios. Paul uses the word timios to refer to the precious stones. And I think Second Corinthians that we're supposed to build our life on, Precious stone. Think of diamonds and rubies and sapphires. Precious. And he says, I don't account my life as any value, Uden, or as precious to me. It's just not. Now, Paul's not saying that his life is not precious. Because actually he says elsewhere that if he's in the body, it means good labor for the Lord. You know, So, so he's not saying my life is worthless. And he, Paul's not suicidal. Okay, but what he's saying is kind of like, kind of like you know. Sometimes I have like the perfect example. I don't know if this is it or not, but um, you know, like when you get engaged and you, and you put that ring on your finger, and men, the first thing you did was take that selfie, right? No, none of you did. None of you did that. You know, I guess you don't get a ring of engagement. That'd be at weddings, but but girls, you get the ring, and it's like you call all your friends, and they come over and they look at it, right? You know. You take pictures with it, you take the close-up with your camera, you know, and, and you do this, and, and you hold it out, and you take the picture, and all the girls gather around, and, and you see that. Um, I don't see any of you doing that a year into your marriage, or two years into your marriage, or, or heaven forbid, 20 years into your marriage. Nobody's going, you know, <laughs> like that. Now, you all know why you don't do that, because the ring is just the symbol of something greater. And the greater thing is the relationship. And the relationship is so important that it dwarfs this. The value of the marriage is so much more than the value of the ring. Right? I don't care how many carats the the diamond is. The relationship means something more. And it means so much that you're going to take selfies with your with your spouse. You're going to take pictures. Family, you know, okay, I know some of you don't take selfies. How about Olin Mills, right? Can you identify with that? You know, Olin Mills, let's take the picture, you know. Um, why do you do that? You know, why do people get tempted to run in and grab their pictures if there's a fire in their house? You know, because it, it means something to them, that relationship. And so you're not doing the, this is worth $2,000, you know. You're not doing that anymore because now you have the person. And I think for Paul, it's like he is saying, my life, I know my life has su- such great value, but compared to my purpose, it's almost like nothing. It's like nothing. Here, here's what he says. If only, and that's the word hosts, it's just a little adverb, it's O-S in Greek, it's, it's a little tiny little, little word, but, 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 it's, but it's an adverb that means purpose. Paul's saying this is my purpose, that I may finish my course. Uh, teleao. It's not teleu, like we might say in English. It's teleao. You've got to do two different O sounds there. Teleao. I want to finish. That, that's the word. I want to complete it. I want to perfect it. I want to get done with it. Teleao. And, and it's subjunctive. And subjunctive, that, that, that kind of mood means uh, that, that there's a purpose behind it. I, I'm doing this for a reason, for a purpose. I want to finish my course. So clearly he's saying, my purpose is above my precious 
life. Now, I know what's interesting to me is uh, NIV, ESV, they all kind of go like similar with the translation here. But, but the King James Version, anybody have a KJV with them today? This one's interesting. He says that I might finish with joy. With joy. And I'm going, the KJV added, they added the word with joy. It's not in there in Greek. It's absolutely not in there. So why did they put the word with joy on finishing the race? And the only thing I can think of is, and I'm not, I don't know this, I wasn't able to find this out or anything, but I'm just guessing, that what they're thinking is, Paul's not treating his life as precious, he's treating his purpose as precious. His ministry, the reason he's on planet Earth is the greatest thing to him. It's precious, so he's finishing the race with joy. Even if it means he's walking into a city where they're going to persecute him, he's got joy because it's so much greater than his life. The purpose of his life is more precious than his life. That's what Paul is saying here. Now, he says, I want to finish my course. That kind of sounds like Second Timothy, right? I've fought the good fight. I've finished the race. This is totally the way Paul talks. Uh, and the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus, the diakonia. Diakonia is just this word that means service, waiting on a table. It, it can mean any kind of serving anywhere. It's not a special word like, oh, great Paul. It's like any service, any ministry that you have to do. And his ministry is to testify, dia marturamai, dia marturamai, to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. And Paul uses the word dear marturamai in the verse right before this. Look at verse uh, 23. I only know that in every city the Holy Spirit warns me. There's the word, dia marturamai. The Spirit warns me of that prisons and hardships are facing me. So Paul is saying this. The, the Holy Spirit testifies to me that there's going to be trouble and difficulty for me. But I'm going to go out and I'm going to testify about the grace of Christ. You know, the Holy Spirit's testifying to me, it's going to be bad, but I'm going to go out and testify to people, it's going to be good, you're going to get saved. You know what I mean? Like, that's what he's saying here. Um, and so I say all that to say this. Are you living primarily in a way that shows your life is precious or your life has purpose? Which one do you put first? I'll just ask this question. If, you're, if you put precious before purpose, then you're going to pray primarily prayers for safety. And that's okay. You can pray for safety. You know, it's, it's okay. But that's going to be the focus of your prayers. You're going to pray primarily that life would be easy on you. When hard things happen, you're going to try to avoid it. Because that's what everybody does. Why would you do that hard thing? Why would you be put in that awkward situation? Why would you speak to that person that makes you feel weird and tell them about Jesus? It's just hard. Don't do it. You'll talk yourself out of all sorts of hard things for the kingdom of God if, you're, if precious is before purpose. But I want to end this message and say this. What if you put your purpose above the preciousness of your life? What if you put your purpose first? And by the way, um, when I'm talking about the purpose of your life, I think two things, just to make this clear. I think in one sense, 
All of us have the mission of God that Paul has. All of us have to share the gospel. Like, we have the same mission as a church. Like, I'm sorry that sounds generic, but it's true. It's a great commission. But on the other hand, you have unique passions, gifts, and abilities that you have and not other people. I can prove it. Anybody want to take over preaching for me right now? Just come on up, you know. Um, Some of you are the letter writers, and you encourage people through writing. Some of you are the evangelists, and it just comes out of your mouth every chance you open it. And you feel like you're putting your foot in it, but I'm going, that's awesome. (laughs) That just comes out of you. Some of you are like, I've got two hands, and I know how to build things, and I'm using that for God. And that's what you're doing. So whether it's your words, your hands, some of you are just full of wisdom because you've walked with God so long, and people sit down with you, and you're able to give like a gift of exhortation to them. This is what I think I see God doing. And you're just sharing wisdom. But you all have different gifts. That's your purpose. So I see it in two ways. But, you know, I'm not the apostle to the Gentiles traveling around in the Middle East. Like, I, don't have, I have Paul's purpose, and then I'm supposed to share the gospel, but I'm not supposed to get on a boat and go. At least I don't think so. Maybe God will change that one day, but I don't think so. Not right now. Paul had a more narrow ministry. I mean, it was, it was a crazy calling. It was a big calling. It was a little more narrow. And you do too. What are your gifts? Are you using them? Okay, let me finish this message up by giving some applications, okay? Um, what happens if we put purpose before precious, okay? Uh, a, I think you'll be able to listen for the Holy Spirit's promptings. Because if the Holy Spirit is saying, go talk to that really unhealthy person. No, that person drives me nuts. I'm not listening to that. I try to avoid that person. No, go talk to him. No. You don't hear it. Because feeling secure is better than feeling awkward and talking to that person, you know? I want you to go. I want you, I want you to give this much to this missionary. No, I'm not doing that. Yeah, I want you to do that. We can't hear it because our life is so much about comfort and preciousness, we're not hearing the hard things he's asking us to do. Can you hear it? I think if your purpose is first, you're going to be able to hear lots of things, and you're going to be surprised at the burdens God, the burdens God gives you. Uh, B, I think if you put purpose before precious, you'll be able to do hard things for the glory of God. That's kind of a no-brainer here, right? Paul's hands and his feet are bound, and Paul says, I'm ready to go. I'm not only ready to be bound, I'm ready to die in Jerusalem. You'll be able to do hard things if purpose comes first. C, you'll be able to love dear friends but disagree with their advice. You ever talk to somebody and they give you advice and it was all wrong and you're like, well, I'm not talking to them again. You know, they're out. Why is it in the church when we disagree on something, we feel like we've got to be like, glad they're sitting over on that side, you know? No. I mean, you're going to get some bad advice. It's going to make sense in a, in a worldly wisdom sort of way. Like, that makes common sense that I should do it that way. But then you look at the Scripture, and the Holy Spirit shows you something, and you're like, I'm going to do it this way, though. This doesn't make sense. It's actually harder. But this is the way, biblically, I should do this. So you're able to love your dear friends, but disagree with their advice. And then finally, D, I think I need to say this too, you'll be able to heed advice that might keep you out of trouble. 
you know, I, I, again, I think it's okay that we didn't go to Mexico. I think it's okay. I don't know that all those teenagers were ready to go down there. If violence did break out, I'm not sure all of them were ready for that. I think that's okay that we kept them back. So some advice will keep you out of trouble. Uh, unfortunately, the one given to Paul didn't keep him out of trouble. He still got arrested. But sometimes people give you advice, and you might say, no, I've got to do hard things. Like, this has got to be intense. The kingdom of God. I've got to sweat, and I've got to work, and it's got to be miserable. That's serving God, you know. Well, don't spiritualize difficulty like that. Maybe you are supposed to stay out of trouble a little bit, you know. Maybe it's okay. I, I, I always thought it was funny. When I went on missions trips with students, you'd either sleep in a hotel with air conditioning or you'd sleep on a church floor in the heat, you know. Now, I had my share of both. Which one was better? I don't know. I'm just guessing that whatever I was in was what I needed at that time, you know. I, I don't know. But I know I didn't enjoy sleeping on the church floor in the heat and it with a room full of teenage guys that smell bad after they've worked all day, you know. I didn't enjoy that. But, right, but that week, I needed to be on the floor with those guys. That's where I needed to be. Okay? Sometimes it's hard, and sometimes it's not as hard. And we can go either way here. Don't spiritualize it just because it was a difficult deal. I've I got to embrace difficulty. Maybe, I, I know while I was preaching today, I know, I know the person that was coming into your mind the whole time I was preaching. You want to see who it is? I know who you were thinking. Are we ready? We have the image. I got him, right? I got him. This guy. Right? Right? All right. The famous words that he says. Two words, right? Where are they? What are they? My precious, you know? And I think sometimes, oh, you even did the S. Look at that. You guys are great. <laughs> My precious, you know, <laughs> however long you want to hold the S. But I think, I think that's it. I think when our life becomes so valuable to us, when our comfort becomes the greatest thing, when, when, when having it our way becomes our, our, our motto in life, I think we lose sight of Jesus who says this. If we can have the last verse up on the screen. It'll get there. Hopefully I put it on there. Whoever wants to find his life, will, whoever finds his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Something about my life I've got to give up in order to find it. And, and somehow I think it relates to the preciousness of which I treat my own life. Life is sacred, but my purpose comes first. Let me pray. Worship team, you can come on up. Lord Jesus, I pray that we would heed Paul's life statement. I, I pray that some, for some of us this might become our life verse. That my comfort is not put over my calling. that easiness is not elevated above difficult ministry that I need to do. You've called all of us that are believers here to be your workmanship, to do works that you prepared in advance for us to do. I pray that we would see more and more of us, this church, living out that purpose, living out that calling. Whatever gifts you've given us, that we would use them with all of our heart as unto the Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.